It's time for JT the Brick. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Puckett drops back to pass. Steps up. He looks. Over the middle. He's got it. Touchdown Raiders. It's caught by Cliff Branch. The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch. All summer long. JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. Stabler plays fake back to pass. Gets a big rush out. He'll cut the man. Stabler's throwing deep for Branch. He's got it to 20. What separated Cliff was he was amazing, meticulous route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. Well, it's not JT the Brick today. Today, it's Eddie Pascal and Jesse and Mary from News 3 Las Vegas here at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. And a big shout out to Bobby for making sure that we get in and out. And a huge thank you to JT for letting us hang out and keep the ship afloat. And Jesse, we will talk, our theme today, as we said, underrated storyline. So if you have one that you want to get at us, the number is area code 702-365-9200 if you want to get in the mix with us. And the theme for us today, Jesse, as we dive into hour two of the JT the Brick Show, has been all things underrated for the Las Vegas Raiders. And you and I are sitting here in our beautiful podcast studio here at HQ in Henderson. And the graphic just showed up on ESPN about the top 10 tight ends in the NFL. And our friend Darren Waller comes in at number three. So I ask you this, Jesse, before we dive into the specialists and talk about all things special teams, uh, fair rating for uh, Mr. Waller from the from the media out there? I think so. That's right where I would have him. You know, I, I had him marked as number three behind, uh, what is it, Kittle and Kelsey, yep. right? Where the Kittle top two there. Yeah, that, that's exactly where I would have tossed him. Uh, you know, I think that's fair. And also, I mean, I think that's a good thing because when you look at it, you know, he's a guy that's coming off of injury, you know, in a season where he struggled with some injuries here and there. So people aren't sleeping on him, you know? And I think that's good to see that, uh, he didn't fall under the radar. Not that, because I, I don't think you could really have a guy like Darren Waller fall under the radar. Having said that, like, I, 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 ugh, it's it's hard to jump over three because those two dudes in front of him. I mean, they are they're as best as, as good yeah. as it gets. You know. Uh, having said that, I think Darren Waller is one of the guys you know on this team that's going to benefit most from this new coaching staff. I mean, we've all seen the way that they used Gronk and the ability to move him around, and Darren Waller is that similar type of guy that can move around. Obviously not the same size because Gronk is a massive human being in terms of just the thickness that he brings to the table there, but uh, for Darren Waller, it can split out as a receiver, and I think we'll see that a lot this year. You know, you saw my exact thought where – I think Darren is, if you were going to make you know, a list of guys on this Raiders offense that are going to benefit immensely from the addition of Josh McDaniels into the coaching staff, I think Darren's got to be right at the top of that list. And, and I think that, that's no shot at anyone else on the roster. I think it's just Darren is such a unique player in so many ways where his athleticism, the physicality, the things that he can do, candidly, there's not a lot of people in the NFL that can do what he can do. And you bring up the fact that Josh McDaniels had so much success with Gronk, uh, a Hall of Fame player, and now to have the, you know, the addition of Josh and the ability to work with and kind of mold Darren into what, you know, he's already a fantastic player, a top three, top two tight end in the NFL, depending on who you talk to. And to see really what he can do to take that next step in 2022, I think is going to be really, really exciting. And, and I, like, you bring up a great point where I know that we have the, uh, the silver and black bias, and I 100% will admit to that, but I say, you know, uh, if you really ask me, do what uh, I who would I rather have? Would I rather have Waller or Kelsey? Personally, I would rather have Waller, but can't you look, there's no wrong answers there. Yeah. I think for me, <clears throat> and this is no knock on Waller, like Kelsey's got a little more wiggle to him, I think. You know? I think I think Waller is a little I think I think he might be quicker. 
Uh, but I think Kelsey's got more of that wiggle, more actual receiver type, you know, ability. I think personally. Um, just pulling up the uh, the article where they've got the top ten rankings. One of the quotes here from an AFC coordinator that they've got in here says, "I don't even really look at him as a tight end, though he can function as one. You can line him up anywhere. He can bully smaller DBs and has the speed to separate. He's a guy you can throw to vertically and have no reservations. Can throw him jump balls, quick passes over the middle. His range is pretty incredible." I think that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, for Darren Waller right there. I, again, like I said, I, I don't know that I'd. I, I think if I'm if I'm picking, being completely honest, I'm picking Kelsey over him. But uh, you know, Darren Waller is one of those guys where continues to get better each and every year. You always see him. The thing that I think is so impressive in practice and stuff like that when he's not involved in a drill, I see him more often working on his pass protection. How many guys at his level who are very clearly a receiving tight end are sitting there working on those minute details about his footwork and pass protection? That, that's huge, I think, to see that that's something he is really concentrating on. And, and one thing that I feel like we don't speak about enough is the fact that Darren Waller is still, in many senses, learning the tight end position. This is a guy who came into the NFL as a wide receiver. This is not a dude who's played tight end since he was 16 years old. So yeah, Darren has ascended into that upper echelon of tight ends. He's ascended, I will say it, into that upper echelon of playmakers on the offensive side of the football in the NFL. And this is a guy who's still figuring it out a little bit. So I think that when you look at, you know, don't no disrespect to Kittle or Kelsey, you know, this is a guy who I think the runway is still so long in terms of what he can be in 2022 and beyond. Yeah. I mean, what was it uh, two years ago now that he burst on the scene prior to that? Like who the heck was talking about him? Yeah, you know? I mean, nobody was. <laughs> no, you know, he he was that guy on the practice squad that just happened to you know they saw him warming up from with the Ravens, which is why practice squad players ain't warming up before games yeah. like that anymore for them. Uh, you know, but he's a guy too. I think people forget like just how big he actually is. He's six six, two hundred fifty five pounds. You know, I mean, he's a massive human being. Uh, and again, on that upper trajectory, I, I'm with you, man. And having a new coaching staff that's going to use him to all of his abilities paired with a guy like Devontae Adams where, yeah, one, he can also learn from him, but just to take that attention away, I think his stats could be kind of crazy, even though, as we noted, probably going to take a little bit of a dock just because, you know, the, the amount of mouths that there are to feed in this offense. But I think he's a guy that, you know, with that kind of frame and what the Raiders have in the red zone, I mean, that's going to be a, a joy to watch for Raider Nation, that's for sure. And that's a fantastic point where I know that we've talked a lot about the addition of Devontae Adams as, you know, an addition in the sense that he can take away some of that attention. He can take some of the burden off Darren. But one of the things that I, you know, frankly, didn't even think about until you just said it, Darren can learn a lot from a Devontae Adams, right? Where I know that Devontae and Darren are very different athletes, but at the end of the day, there's not a lot of tight ends who I think can kind of you know, I wouldn't say emulate Devontae, but can take some of the things from his bag and kind of add it to their game. So that's one thing I think will be a lot of fun to watch kind of mature and grow as the season carries on is what does Derek, excuse me, what does Darren take from Devontae Adams in 2022 in a good way? Yeah, because I mean, we, we hear about it, you know, the, a lot of the talk was about, you know, uh, Hunter Renfro learning from him and, and even Hunter Renfro kind of teaching, you know, Devontae Adams as well. You know, they were both talking about how it's that give and take between the two of them. But I think that it is something where we forget about the fact of like, well, hey, you know, in today's NFL, that tight end is more a receiver than they ever have been. And so learning from a guy like Devontae, who, as we saw in the rankings from ESPN, I believe yesterday mm-hmm. it was, number one receiver in the league. You know, widely regarded as that by anybody, no matter what list you look at for the most part. So, I mean, having him come in here. And again, as we talked about with Devontae, a guy that wants to be here. I mean, this is the place that he chose. He didn't come here as a free agent, but he essentially orchestrated this to come to the Raiders. And so that is massive alone that the guy wants to be here and is going to pour himself into his teammates and it's going to be paid dividends for a guy like Waller. In a world, Jesse Merrick, where it feels like we can't agree on anything, 
right? It feels like we are such a, at times divided and unable to figure out a consensus on anything. It is nice that the NFL world can agree that Devontae Adams <laughs> is one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver in the NFL. Warms my heart. A little unity in these trying times, right? Yeah, something the Raider Nation can rally yes. behind, and you know they can have that on every other receiver in the <laughs> NFL. <laughs> well, I know. Look, we've talked about Devontae. We've talked about Darren, but we need to get into what I'm most excited about, Jesse the special teams portion of the game. We've talked about underrated storylines on offense. We've talked about underrated storylines on defense. And tonight, or not tonight, now we talk about some underrated storylines in terms of the specialists. And I love me some specialists. You know that. I know that Carlson is going to be a beast. We know that AJ is going to be a beast. But when you look at things that perhaps aren't getting enough shine in terms of the special uh, special teams group in 2022. What comes to mind for you? Man, I mean, there's there's so many elements to it, you know, and I know nobody is more excited about this conversation than you. <laughs> Not one person in this building. Yeah, but look, I mean, as cliched as it, as it is, special teams definitely does win games. You know, that, that's what it boils down to. And luckily for the Raiders, at the kicking spot and punting spot, there's nothing they have to Long win. snapper as well. A long snapper as well, yeah, yeah. A whole battle. Lock those guys down, no disrespect. Um, you know, so for me, you know, a lot of it is like where guys kind of fill in who is going to be that special teams ace is the thing that I think and can can be an underrated storyline simply because of the simple fact of like your lead special teams guys in your kicker, punter and long snapper are all locked down. So who's that guy that's going to emerge as the quote unquote captain, you know, of that special teams unit? Yeah, I think that there's a plethora of options there. I know you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. I think one one guy that uh, that kind of comes to mind is, is Roger Teamer. I think he's a guy that has the chance to kind of fill that role. Dallin Levitt, another guy who has been a stud on special teams, a guy that has candidly made this roster yeah. a few seasons because of what he does on special teams. And it's not the sexiest thing. It's not the thing that will drive clicks and engagement, but it is something that is incredibly important because, to your point, special teams does win ball games, especially, you know, you look at the Raiders from a year ago, and there were times where, look, the offense struggled to secure things in the red zone, right? It's a storyline that we have talked about ad nauseum this summer, this offseason, is the Raiders, their issues in the red zone offensively and defensively. You can't tell me that if the Raiders were had a little starting better field position, that that wouldn't drastically change the makeup of their offensive group. It is a, it is a fact, it is a tried and true statement that if you as a special teams unit can put your offense in better positions, if you can help your defense out a little bit, that matters and that plays a tangible role to the end result of those 17 football games. That's, I think, something that people don't really realize is like football at the end of the day is a battle of field position. It you're, is. You're constantly trying to tilt the field in your favor. And so having a guy like A.J. Cole that can boot it in the punting game, I mean, that, that is a massive weapon that I think is very underrated just in the sense of, you know, special teams as a whole. Because as we noted, it's not as sexy for a lot of people. They don't like to talk about it all the time. But, you know, having a solid special teams unit just simplifies things for you as well. Not having to think about it, you know, and having guys that step up in a big way on that side of the ball. And you can also draw a ton of energy from it. I mean, look at the handful of plays last year that stick out. You know, when you go back and look at the Raiders' season, there has to be a couple special teams plays that you throw in there as, like, some of the top plays of the season. You know, the A.J. Cole, you know, hit, lowering the, lowering the, you know, the shoulder there and there for the hit stick. Also, Hunter Renfro making an unbelievable play as a punt returner there to break up that pass. I mean, key moments that got the rest of this team going. You know, it's, it's funny when you brought that up and you're thinking about the best plays from 2021. And, look, there's a, a ton of options to choose from. Yeah. You know, really anything over that final month of the regular season. I think of the Hunter Renfro catch in Indy. I think of all these incredible moments, right? One of the, the first one, and I'm not even just saying this for the sake of the bit, the first one that came to mind 
was Renfro's hit. Yeah. That was the first, that, like when I think of that season last year, at a midst of all the incredible moments and, and some of the moments that, that were really challenging for the team in this organization, the, one, the first one that came to mind was Hunter, Hunter Renfro laying the hit stick out there. And I think a lot of that with that play in particular is like, you never see that happen like that. No. You know, from a returner to be able to make that read. And think about how many people nationally were talking about it. And just simply for the fact of like in awe that he made the play, he made that read. You know, there's so many times that, you know, that goes unnoticed and they complete the pass and boom, they're moving right down the field. And then who knows what happens in that game. So to me, just simply for the fact of like, wow, you know, and the closing speed that he showed in order to get there in time. I mean, he was it. He doesn't get there. He catches that ball. Touchdown. Bye. Yeah, 100%. You're hanging out with Eddie Pascal and Jesse Merrick in for JT The Brick. If you want to get in the mix with us, it's area code 702-365-9200. Today, we're talking all things underrated. Underrated about your Las Vegas Raiders as, a, as we get ready for the start of training camp. And Jesse, one thing that is sticking with the special teams theme here a little bit, one thing that I haven't, I don't think that we've discussed enough, and again, I don't think this is a bad thing, it's just we haven't had the opportunity in the calendar to get there yet, is who ends up doing a lot of the return duties for your Las Vegas Raiders in 2022? Kick return duties, punt return duties. I think that when you look at the punt return, I think Hunter Renfro is the first name that comes to mind. And you and I have discussed this where I don't necessarily know if I want to see him back there as much in 2022. Right. If the rains are swirling, if the wind is going crazy, if you need to have someone back there with sure hands just to catch the football, yes, send him back there. But I think that we've existed, we've, we've got to a place now where Hunter is so valuable to this offense that you need to give him a little bit of a breather back there. So in those moments where Hunter's going to be on the sidelines, if you're in a dome in the second quarter and you want to give someone back there a chance to go, hey, go make a play, who do you think that guy is? That's an interesting question because, you know, Hunter has emerged as, you know, one of the best slot receivers in the NFL, as you noted, so valuable to this team. Clearly they put their money where their mouth was with him. Um, Ooh, another guy that I'd like to see. So Kenyon Drake is a guy that has handled kick return duties before. You know, I'd be curious to see how he does, you know, in a role like that, uh, you know, as a punt returner. Um, you know, you, you need guys that are, are that are very sure-handed. Uh, you know, DJ Turner, another guy, you know, to keep an eye on, you know, who has been there in that battle before if he's able to make the roster. Uh, real shifty type of guy. Because uh, that's essentially in your punt returner, like you want somebody back there, one, sure-handed, who's going to catch it, but somebody that is shifty and elusive because that is one of the hardest you know, jobs in football uh, is being back there when guys are coming down there to take your head off to be able to catch that ball and make a little something happen. And, again, that's where that field position battle, you can totally flip the game on its head if you're able to get a nice, uh, nice return and set the offense up in good position. Yeah, go make someone miss, right? It sounds so easy. It sounds like, oh, well, of course, go make someone miss. But yeah. to your point, I mean, one of the most challenging roles in the NFL is being a punt returner, but also being a good punt returner. And I think DJ Turner is a guy that we could see possibly back there get a little bit of run depending on how this roster shakes up. But another guy that I'm excited to see just what he does with the opportunity, because I have a feeling he will get at least a chance to show this coaching staff what he can do in that in that role, is Dylan Stoner. And, and I, I know we saw a little bit of that uh, a year ago. I know we saw kind of glimpses of what he possibly could be, certainly not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. But he's a guy that I think, uh, we talk about people that earn a, earn a roster spot based off of what they can do on special teams. I think he could be a, a prime example of one of those guys in 2022. Yeah, he definitely could. And that's, that's where, you know, like, as you noted, guys that will get a spot on the roster because of it. Like, he is a guy that needs to be, you know, a big-time player on special teams in order to make the roster, purely because of when you look at the receiver position, the depth that they have there. So if you're going to keep a guy like him, 
he's got to be out there, you know, on multiple special teams units uh, and has to be that guy that's it's playing all over the place, you know, like his hair on fire, you know, running around. And we did see him get some opportunities. For him, he, he was sure-handed back there. I think the biggest thing, like, for guys like him and DJ Turner is more so the consistency, mm-hmm. you know. That's where it was lacking. I remember, like, it sticks out in my head. I just remember multiple times when it was a little bit windy last year in the punt return, kick return game, whatever it was. You know, you're watching no balls hit the ground when Renfro's back there. But with those guys, some of them did. And that's where I think, again, the consistency factor comes into play of having a sure-handed guy back there to where no matter what the situation is, you don't have to think about throwing Renfro out there because you trust your guy doing it. And, look, I I think the reality is that in those big moments, in those high-pressure, hey, we need someone back there just to catch this football. We are in where you know upstate New York. We are in wherever we are. We are in Foxborough. We need this, this ball secured. It's going to be Renfro, I would think. But in those moments where there is a chance to make a play, where there is a chance to infuse a little bit of energy into your team, you need to have a guy back there that you can trust. Uh, and I think that the, those two guys that you brought up, I think you brought up the perfect term for both of them, is consistency. Can, do they have these the on-paper skills to do that job? Yeah, for sure. They're in the NFL for a reason. But can they do it week in and week out? Can they do it for 17 weeks? Can they do it and have you know Josh McDaniels be confident in the fact that, hey, yeah, you know maybe this isn't going to be the one, this isn't the home run, but can they hit singles routinely? I think that's the big question when it comes to these two. I think it will be. And as I mentioned, you know, for like wanting to see Kenyon Drake back there, I think, you know, we talked about the running backs and everything like that and how, you know, I think it's going to be more running back by committee with him having even more of a, a lesser role back there, you know, less touches really. Uh, I'd like to see him get involved in the punt return game, you know, and things like that. Because he's a guy, you know, at Alabama, even in his time in Miami, I mean, he is a speed guy, all caps. I mean, he can go. And so having someone like him back there who has that that shiftiness, you know, he's a guy catching the ball out of the backfield, he brings that really interesting element to the table uh, to where maybe there is a little more consistency in there, uh, you know, with him. There were talk uh, talks last year of him being split out as a receiver. I didn't see that too often, and I wish we could have kind of seen it more, but I think he has those receiver-type abilities to where he could fit into a much better role there in that punt returning spot. And and one thing about Kenyon Drake, and, and granted we haven't seen a ton of it in, in this regard, but one thing that's really stood out to me in kind of watching him play is that he's a dude it doesn't take him very long to go from zero to 100 right I mean you look at some of these backs and it's like okay they're the big bodied they're gonna get there they're gonna go from zero to 100 but it's gonna take them a little bit to get there but once they get going watch out he's a guy that's like boom he's in there and a few paces later you feel like he is at top speed and in the return game whether it's you know kick return punt return that is an incredibly value underrated you know, kind of aspect of, of a skill set that you need to be a guy that gets from zero to 100 quick, fast, and in a hurry. And that's why Hunter Renfro is so good at that because yeah. he's that guy that's like, he, you can catch him if he was in a phone booth. You know, you need a guy like that that can, is shifty and more so, I don't want to say quicker than he is fast because that's not the case with Kenyon Drake. Like, we know he's got that, like, I believe it was 4 3 speed. Yeah, he's got uh, crazy speed. Yeah. Uh, you know, but to me, you, you need to be quicker, shiftier, in and out of your cuts and things like that. And that is why I believe Renfro is so good at that job because it turns into kind of backyard football where you're out there just running around trying to, you know, create space wherever the heck you can. And, and it, all it takes is like that little inch. You make a guy take a step in the wrong direction, boom, you're gone. And that's where Renfro has really succeeded. So I think a guy like Drake could be impressive back there. And and as we noted, DJ Turner is a guy that has real similar type of burst in those uh, short areas of the field there. Yeah, and and I think... I think if you're Josh McDaniels, if, if you're this coaching staff, the fact that, and you and I have just named off, what, four or five guys that yeah. we think on paper could be capable of doing that job, 
that is a luxury, right? I don't think that most NFL teams, first off, there's not a lot of NFL teams that have a Hunter Renfro, like yeah. just off the jump. There's not a lot of teams that are lucky enough to have a guy like that. But to have a handful of guys that say, yo, like if if the big dog, if Renfro or the Renfro equivalent is out, we feel good about these two, three, four guys stepping in. I don't think and that's... That's the case a lot. And I think a lot of that is a credit to how Dave Ziegler has built this roster. A lot of it is a credit to understanding the vision of what Josh McDaniels wants in a player. And we've joked about it a lot throughout the offseason. But the magic word for this staff, for this entire collective, this new front office, is versatility. And it's guys that can do a lot of things, guys that can fill a lot of different holes on a roster and do a lot of things for you come game day. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret. The more good football players you have, the better team you're going to yeah. be. You know, And so that's where I think they're bringing that aspect into it which again it's not going to surprise anyone you know because you want good football players to be a good football team but like you know the simple fact of having guys that can play multiple positions because again we've talked about it like injuries happen you know you need guys that can go in you can slot in at multiple spots and that goes just as much for special teams that's where I think you see a lot of the versatility these guys that can play multiple positions on offense or defense really shine through because special teams involves so many different aspects of each position in it. And so that's where I think, you know, we could see the Raiders have a really strong special teams unit simply by the versatility that they have on this roster with so many guys that have played so many different positions. A wise man once told me, the more you can do, the better. And I think that is the case for this roster. That is the case for all the rosters in the NFL. But as we kind of look at everything through our silver and black glasses, that is 100% the case. Well, on when we get back, we're going to shift focus just a little bit. We're going to stay here in Vegas, Jesse, but we're going to talk to our friend Jason Dumas, a friend of the program who is out here covering Summer League, uh, doing some fantastic work on the sideline. And we're going to talk about maybe some underrated NBA storylines. How about that? Oh, there's tons of them out of Summer League. I'm no, sure he's no got the shortage. to drop on. No shortage. So stick around. We're going to hang out with J- Jason Dumas when we get back. Eddie Pascal, Jesse Merrick, in for JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. to the JT The Brick Show with today's guest hosts, Eddie Pascal and Jesse Merrick. Cliff Branch was the ultimate threat for the Raiders because we threw the deep ball. He would stretch the defense. Those guys were just afraid that he'd blow by them, and ultimately he would blow by them. I mean, he was the ultimate deep threat in the game of football. Ooh, there you go. Some fantastic art shell coming back. Big shout-out to our guy, Bobby. Like I said, making sure that we're uh, we're playing by all the rules and getting in and out today. Eddie Pascal and Jesse Merrick in for JT the Brick. And we're going to welcome in in just a few minutes our friend from Cron 4 out in the Bay Area, Jason Dumas. And, Jesse, we're going to talk a little summer league, man. We're going to talk a little bit of basketball, talk some underrated NBA storylines as we as we progress through the afternoon here. I'm fired up. Yeah, it is. Summer league is always one of those great events, you know, every year that comes out here. You know, for me and my role over at News 3, a lot of times I concentrated on a bunch of the guys with local ties, you know, and so it's fun to see them trying to make an NBA roster, you know, and everything that goes into it. It's kind of like it's that primer right before training camp does come about, and then you go through it all over again watching the other guys on the roster trying to make the team as well. So it's been fun. Guys we're all rooting for, you know, with Vegas ties, Orlando Robinson from uh, Centennial High School, Jaden Hardy, a guy from Coronado High School, and then with UNLV ties, uh, we've got Bryce Hamilton and Donovan Williams as well. So we'll see what happens for them. You know what's a lot of fun, too, is is to kind of see, and you and I haven't been here, you know, gosh, two and a half years now, so I consider myself relatively new yeah. to, to Vegas. But it's really cool to see how the NBA world 
really just shifts entirely here to Las Vegas for this uh, for this little stretch. I think it's pretty fine. You go, to, you look at all the highlights on Sports Center, and you see LeBron sitting courtside and Russell Westbrook, and and you know you got uh, you know not KD now, but you see the John Morant and the Steph Curry's of the world. Like this is the space to be. This is the place you want to be if you're an NBA player. Yeah, the NBA becomes you know the center. I mean, Vegas becomes the center of the NBA universe. You know, for these what ten days that it is. Uh, you know, and, and so it's interesting. And this is that part where I love just seeing you know the NBA and Vegas working together in this sense for you know eventually when we do get an NBA team because in my mind it's only a matter of time till that happens you know so I I love seeing it again you see all the stars come out and you also really see how much Vegas loves basketball too you know you see the city rally around it and go and watch these kids that are trying to make their dreams come true you know and that's and that's one of the things that really stuck with me when you first got here and and obviously the, the 2020 everything about 2020 was so weird but I think the one thing that it did provide is it gave us a lot of chance to just talk to people and, and to kind of maybe not see people face to face but to learn people in the community and, and understand the sports landscape here a little bit better and, and one thing that really stood out to me is that this is to your point is a city is an area that loves basketball dating back to those really really good UNLV teams those super exciting you know college teams back in the day I mean this is a well-educated basketball city and it's it's a lot of fun to kind of see them get their moment in the sun right now it is and you know you see it you know with the aces you know how successful they've been you know this this city really rallies around you know basketball programs that are good because I think you know they look back to those years as you noted with UNLV in the 90s I mean that I could only imagine I've talked to a handful of people that were here in the media locals, you know, just fans, things like that about what that time was like. And it sounds like it was unbelievable. You know, for us in our generation growing up, we kind of just got to watch it on TV, you know, didn't get to really experience it the same. But this is a town that, you know, gets lit on fire, you know, during basketball season, if it's got a team, you know, that is out there killing it. And I think we saw that with the uh, with the Lady Rebels this past season, yeah. right? where where they went on a really incredible run, had some historic success, success that they even had in a minute. And it was really, really cool to see uh, the local kind of support for them. We talk about the Aces and we'll talk about the Aces a little bit once we wrap up with Jason, but it's been really cool to see just how much this community cares about quality hoops, whether it's professional, whether it's college, whether it's high school. I mean, this is a city that loves watching good basketball. And, you know, you point to the Lady Rebels, Lindy LaRock, you know, a Vegas local, you know, leading them to the NCAA tournament for the first time, I believe, and it was 21 years, if I remember right. You know, that's massive to be able to do that, you know, with this team. That's always, you know, the women's program was never terrible, but they were always middle of the road. Yeah, and speaking of uh, of hoops in general and a guy who knows more hoops than probably you and I will ever know, our friend, our mutual pal, Jason Dumas from Cron 4 back in the Bay Area, the sports arrestor down there, an NBA reporter for Bleacher Report. He's on 95.7 The Game. Jason, is there anything you don't do, man? How are you, sir? <laughs> you know, trying to keep busy. I'm great, man. How are you guys doing? We're good, man. It's good to it's good to hear your voice. When I was texting you the other day, I was like, "Man, this is this is like a little." I feel like we're missing a few beers in this hangout sesh. Yeah, yeah, I know, man. You know how to work the grind is. Uh, I was moving a mile a minute out there in Vegas uh, all week. Well, give us the uh, give us the lowdown, Jason. I know that you were out here covering summer league. Uh, initial thoughts about not only uh, what you saw on the court, but really how this city it has kind of embraced basketball in a major way. Well, it's awesome. You know, this was actually my first summer league experience, so I don't have anything to base it off of, but it's like it's like an NBA convention. When I tell you, you just walk down in your lobby. I stayed over at the Aria. You walk down in the lobby, you're liable to see anyone, like whether it's a front office exec, an owner, a player. And it's not just like 
any player. Like, I've seen all-stars just hanging out in lobbies, playing crap, playing blackjack. And, of course, they're all sitting on Gucci Row at the Thomas and Mack Center during the games. Um, you can really tell this is where a lot of business gets done for these front office execs, these GMs, coaches. Everyone is in one place uh, for for this two-week summer league stretch, for at least three to four days of it, everyone is there. And uh, it's just re- really was an experience like no other. Yeah, Jason, my guy, I'm glad you got to experience it, man. You know, it, summer league is always interesting. And I'm curious for you, you know, on the court, who were some guys that really kind of caught your eye in the couple of days that you were out here for it? Uh, well, the most impressive guy I saw uh, was Keegan Murray for the Kings. He was Awesome. I think he had 29 points last night uh, against the Thunder. Completely outplayed Chet. Uh, now, to be fair, the Thunder lost. I don't want to be that guy who just skips over probably the most important fact of, of the game is the winner and loser. But Keegan Murray, he's, he's for real. Coming into that game, he was averaging 20-8 and eight over five summer league games. So he definitely bumped up his average after last night's performance because he was the best player on the court. Uh, in a game that included Chet Holmgren. So uh, he has been the most impressive. Um, Mathurin, uh, Benedict Mathurin, he, he looked really good for the Pacers, the guard out of Arizona. Uh, he's big, physical. He's, he's going to be one of those big physical scoring guards in the NBA. You can tell his body just translates and his confidence is through the roof. He screamed like, I'm the best player on this court after he scored a bucket, and I asked him about that after the game, and he was like, yeah, I am. So he doesn't, uh, he doesn't lack any confidence. And then uh, kind of an under-the-radar guy who might, not, um, who might not contribute right away, but I think eventually he'll stick and he'll be really good, is uh, Colin Gillespie on the Denver Nuggets. He played five years at Nova. He signed a two-way with Denver, and uh, – He's just a smart basketball player. He never makes mistakes. He never hurts his team. He always makes the right play. He can shoot it well enough to keep people honest. He can get to the rim. He gets people involved. I think he'll probably be a career backup point guard who would just be a steady NBA player for a decade or so. We're talking with our guy Jason Dumas. He was out here covering a little bit of Summer League, friend of Jesse Merrick and myself. And, and Jason, our, our kind of theme for Jesse and I today has been under-the-radar Raider storylines, right? We've talked about you know Max Crosby and Chandler Jones and all those kind of guys. So shifting this to the NBA world that you're living in right now, I know that all the focus is on Kevin Durant and where's he going to go and what's going to happen with Kyrie. What's kind of something kind of under-the-radar for you that you really have your kind of eyes and ears on right now across the association? Well, I wouldn't even call it under the radar right now just because Woj kind of broke it open today. But I reported earlier this week, what's today, Thursday, I reported on Tuesday that Donovan Mitchell has not spoken to really anyone within the Jazz organization or any of even some of his friends who usually have access to him. He's going completely dark. And I said his silence speaks volumes. Uh, basically insinuating that something's going on there, whether it's the Jazz looking to trade him or him just not wanting to be back there anymore. And then, you know, Woj reports that the New York Knicks and the Jazz have been engaged in trade talks. So, I, you know, I knew that was coming. So 
I don't expect Donovan Mitchell to be in a Jazz jersey when the season starts. Um, and you have this whole mess going on in, in Phoenix. I really think that team is going to step back. They really shot themselves in the foot uh, with this whole DeAndre Ayton situation. They should have just signed him to a long-term deal. Then they'd be eligible to trade him now. Now Indiana gives him a, an offer sheet, and if Phoenix matches it, they can't trade him until January. Uh, so they really fumbled the ball on that, and I think they're going to take a step back uh, because of it. And I know people around the league are looking at them funny because players are like, wait, this, was, this guy was your first overall pick, DeAndre Ayton, like three years ago. He hasn't played bad. He's been pretty good his whole career, you know? Not a world beater, but he's been good, far, far from a bust. And you don't offer a contract extension on his rookie deal. So players notice things like that. They've been chatting about that. It's not a good look for Phoenix. They definitely won't get better if they lose DeAndre Ayton. Even if they bring him in now, that relationship is so soured and so awkward. Uh, I think that's going to be a, just a hard situation to salvage, and I think we're going to see Phoenix take a step back. Um, I guess one underrated storyline is just the Bucks. You know, they, uh, they've quietly had a pretty good offseason, and Chris Middleton will get healthy, and they have a healthy Chris Middleton, and Giannis, we know who he is. They're going to be right back on the top of the pack, and no one is talking about them. Yeah, no, that's definitely those are some interesting storylines. For you, man, I'm curious. You've obviously had a very exciting end to the basketball season, you know, covering the dubs. What was that like for you, and, and have you recovered from all the uh, festivities that occur after all that stuff? Well, I'll preface it by saying it was amazing. It was so fun covering a championship team. Jesse, you, you covered the Golden Knights when they won it, right? Uh, well, so they, they haven't actually won it yet. I, when I got here, I just have covered them throughout the playoffs, but I actually covered the Kings when they won the Cup in 2012 and 2014 uh, behind the scenes so, out in L.A. So you get it. So you get it. So it's fun. Uh, it's also tiring. The Warriors did not have an easy road trip the entire postseason. They started in Denver. San Francisco to Denver isn't, isn't the easiest flight. Then they go to Memphis, which is a brutal flight. Is no direct flight from San Francisco to Memphis. Then you got Dallas, same thing. There's direct flights, but it's just not easy, California to Texas. And then, of course, Boston. So I'm making all those road trips back, forth, back, forth. By game, uh, by that final game in Boston, uh, game six, I was praying to the basketball gods the Warriors got to win. So but I did not feel like going back that following Sunday, doing it all again, doing another game. Uh, but it was amazing watching Steph Curry. We Steph Curry is before the before this season, he was already cemented. We know like this season didn't make or break anything in terms of his legacy, but I definitely think it put him in a different echelon. Like now, people are comparing him and putting him into conversations with Magic Johnson and LeBron James, and that probably wasn't the case before this year. And you know that game four in Boston where he had 41 points and just completely took over in the second half. That was really like, that was like his moment. Uh, and that was just great to watch firsthand, be in the crowd for that. The, the atmosphere in Boston is electric. Um, they've earned that uh, reputation as just a boisterous fan base because they are breathing down your neck. It feels like every single bucket they score, the place just explodes. 
uh, it was definitely the craziest road environment I was in this season. And I probably was in about half of the arenas this season. So it was a fun year, capped off by a parade, uh, the first parade in San Francisco for the Warriors, because remember, all of their other titles was in Oakland. Um, so it, it was great. It was a fun season, tiring at the end, but fun. Yeah, and I got a quick follow-up on that, because I'd imagine, you know, a lot of the folks out here watching and listening to uh, Raider Nation Radio, you know, are also Dubs fans, you know, being the Bay Area Connections and everything. So I'm curious with you, you, you mentioned Steph. I, I believe it was Bobby Marks on ESPN was talking about him and said that, you know, with everything that's pr- transpired, you know, win another title, that he puts him above LeBron James in terms of the conversation of, like, greatest of all time right behind Michael Jordan. What's your take on that? Yeah, I heard that, and I hate uh... – I, I know we do it. We're in the business of doing it. I hate when I get, it feels like I'm putting down two great players to prop another one up. Uh, I do think Bobby March is a victim of recency bias. I'm a, as big as a Steph fan as you can find. I cover the guy for the last four years. Not only is he great on the court, he's great off the court. As journalists like all of us are, we we somewhat need them to like, you know, do our job at the highest level or at least help do our job at the highest level. And Steph gets it. He is great with the media. He's a guy who's probably pulled in about 20 billion different directions every day, but he never makes it seem like you're bugging him when you talk to him. He always gives you access. He always gives you thoughtful responses. So I've always been appreciative of that because we know not all athletes are like that. Steph is like that. And he's one of those guys, if he wasn't like that, you would maybe even understand a little bit because he has so much on his plate. But with all that being said, no, I do not think he's better than LeBron James. Uh, he just, from everything from production to just skill, I mean, Steph obviously is a more skilled shooter, but I think LeBron James could be the best player who have ever played. I would still probably lean Michael Jordan, but I think if someone told me they think LeBron is the best player ever, I wouldn't call them crazy. Uh, I know the past couple of years it hasn't been great for LeBron in L.A., and the media is victim of a lot of recency bias, and I think Bobby Marks fell into that trap right there. Well, Jason, it warms my heart to talk a little dubs, man. It warms my Vegas heart to get, you know, talking to my Bay Area guys, talking a little basketball, yeah. talking a little. I mean, I know we're not talking Oracle Arena anymore, but it feels good to be talking about Steph and those guys. But shifting it back here to Vegas, man, I mean, you look at what this this Warriors uh, Summer League team did. I mean, a bunch of really talented go- dudes. You got James Wiseman, Kaminga. Like, what were your kind of takeaways from seeing them up close and personal for a few days? Oh, uh, you know, they did what I I expected them to do. They have they have a lot of veterans on that summer league team, like Kaminga Moody. They're they're NBA champs, and now they're playing against kids. Uh, and it's funny because they're kids themselves. Um, and then they brought in Mac McClung, who had a couple of really nice performances. Um, you know, the Warriors look good. You know, I they have a legitimate chance to repeat. I really enjoy, uh, I really like that Dante DiVincenzo uh, acquisition this offseason. Coming over from the Kings, he played for the Bucks for the majority of his career. Uh, it hurts to lose Gary Payton II, uh, for sure. He really was the guy who changed that entire NBA final series. When he came back, the Warriors were able to do a lot more things with him defensively, and uh, they took off from there. I... I Genuinely not sure they win the NBA Finals with Gary Payne second. As crazy as that sounds, despite what Steph Curry was able to do. No, uh, I so agree. That is, that's a huge loss right there. 
No, I agree with you 100%, man. I mean, you look at what Gary Payton the second did, just not only uh, quality defensive play, but just a dude who infused energy every single step of the way when he was back on the court. Well, dude, I appreciate you hanging out with us, man. It was so good to, uh, to hear your voice. I wish that we were able to connect when you were here in Vegas, but hey, this is just an excuse now for you to come back here, spend some time with Jesse and I, go to a Raiders game, and do Vegas right. How about that? Oh, got to. I haven't even been to that new stadium yet, so that's on the bucket list. We got to make it happen this year. 100 percent. New, uh, New Year's Day game. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's a valid. Let's make qu- it happen. That's a great, uh, a great point. Are you going to come out here for Niners Raiders? What's that looking like? I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Love that. Well, hey, now we got on the books. New Year's with Eddie and Jesse with our guy Jason Dumas. Well, hey, Jason. Like I said, man, congratulations on all the success. Incredibly well deserved. And I will see you. How about this? We'll see you to start 2023. How about that? Facts. Thank you guys for having me, man. I appreciate it. You're the man. Make sure you follow Jason on Twitter at Reports, a guy who's going to break down all things NBA. Uh, for our Bay Area listeners out there, also an incredible, uh, valuable source for all things Bay Area sports. I mean, it's good to hear from him, wasn't it, Jesse? Oh, awesome to hear him. I always love you know, chopping it up with Jason. You know, uh, a couple times that he's come out here, we've gotten together. You know, a guy that I've just kind of known in the business um, you know, over the years. So a great source, though, like you said, though, too. I mean, he's a guy that is tapped into all things NBA. He is a big a hoop head, as you will find out there, and he's got some great sources, and I think some people are sleeping on him because he'll he'll break some stories that the national media guys, you know, the big-name guys will get a couple days after Jason already started talking about it or at least put it on people's radar. So you go find him on Twitter for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And when we get back, we're going to wrap this show up. We've had a lot of fun this afternoon. We've talked about all things underrated for the Raiders. We've talked about uh, a little hoops. And we're going to talk about, Jesse, when we come back, what we've learned today uh, and, you know, hopefully give a a little look ahead to training camp. So you're with Eddie Pascal and Jesse Merrick here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. to the JT The Brick Show with today's guest hosts, Eddie Pascal and Jesse Merrick. First of all, the Raiders have always been family. All the different players who came through the different areas through the Raider organization will always be family. That's something that Al Davis instills in the organization, and that's the same thing that Mark Davis has continued to stress. Our former players are the foundation of where we are today. They help build this thing, so the Raiders will always have open arms for their former players. And there it is. Hey, a bit, by the way, before we get out of here, and this two hours has flown by, Eddie Pascal and Jesse Merrick in for JT the Brick. Uh, before we get out of here, man, huge shout out to our, our guy Bobby for all the fantastic work on the ins and outs, keeping track of the clock for us and making sure that we are are abiding by all the rules. So a big thank you to Bobby for uh, for hanging out with us for the afternoon. But Jesse, before we get out of here, and we're going to be out of here in just a few minutes, I was thinking about it. Like It feels like today, in these two hours, as we get ready for training camp, as crazy as it sounds, it feels like we've learned a lot, though. It feels like kind of just talking through stuff, going through that exercise of discussing the 2022 Raiders. It feels like we've learned a lot. So I'm curious, on our way out, what you learned today. Yeah, I mean, one, that there are so many storylines surrounding the Raiders, aside from, you know, the the massive ones that we know about the new additions, new coaching staff, you know, what the schemes are going to look like. Uh, you know, but for me, I think the thing that sticks out, the thing that I've learned, as you noted, you continue to talk through things and, you know, things come to mind. Like, and I've kind of said this a bit, you know, over the last couple of months, that 
there's may not be like a top dog in the secondary, but there's a lot of quality pieces, you know, in the secondary, specifically among the corners, you know. They've got guys, you know, who have played solid football in the NFL. You know, obviously Nate Hobbs has only done it for one year, but guys like Anthony Averett with Trayvon Mullen as well, Rocky Seen, you know, uh, specifically with Averett and Rocky Seen on one-year deals, very hungry guys that I think are going to come into this one and have good seasons and then, you know, put the team in a bit of a bind of like, okay, do we pay these guys to keep them here? Which I think is a good problem to be put into. So I think that for me is the thing that stands out is that, you know, people need to talk more about the skill that is in the secondary rather than the lack of like a veteran leader among the corners. And and to your point, that is a fantastic problem to have. If you have so many guys that are essentially outperforming their deals and you got to make some tough decisions in terms of, hey, all these guys are deserving of wearing silver and black for the long term, but you know, the, the reality of the NFL is you can't pay everyone. That's a good problem to have if you're Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. I, I think when I, when I think back to the past couple hours, Jesse, what I've learned, I, I think what really stands out to me is that this roster has been built in a really good, thoughtful way. And this is something that we, we've talked about a lot, but I kind of, like we said, going through the exercise of talking about the depth pieces, of talking about guys that may, might not, necessar- not, not necessarily be the biggest dogs uh, in the room, I think that when we really go through it you, and you look at what Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels have done, this is a roster that has been put together with thought, has been put together diligently, and in every move that this group has made has been done for a purpose. It has, and it's very clear to see that they have a plan in place, you know, and they've gone after quality depth, you know, and they've added depth. I think at positions where you know you really need it, specifically the offensive line and at running back too, where it's probably going to be running back by committee, you know, bringing in extra bodies and things like that, and also like. There's elite talent in the receiving core when you lump Darren Waller in that, but then they've got some pieces that are kind of interesting. You know, I, I wonder what Mal Collins is going to look like on this team. You bring in a guy like Keelan Cole as well, um, uh, Demarcus Robinson from the Chiefs. You know, all guys that could come in and, and they're not going to get a ton of playing time, but real interesting role players on this team in terms of those depth pieces. 100%. Well, shameless plug alert on our way out. Make sure you listen to me and Jesse as we do the Raiders training camp podcast, the 2022 version, which will start in less than a week. Right? Let's call it about a week just for the sake of giving us a little wiggle room. But it is going to be so much fun. And like I said, a big thank you to Bobby for keeping us uh, keeping us in tow today. A big thank you to Alexandra back in the control room here at HQ. A big thank you to Jason for uh, joining us. That's Jason Dumas. And a big shout out to Q, man for letting us uh, come on here and do our thing and make sure that you stay tuned in because Q is going to be coming up next for Unnecessary Roughness. Like, this was, like I said, this was so much fun. Uh, I can't wait to do it again. And Jesse, training camp in less than a week. Let's do it. Whew, it is coming up quick. Thanks for hanging out with us, Raider Nation.